0: Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the fastest growing boxing podcast on streaming platforms. This week, we have a lot of items to discuss. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by the dynamic duo, Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. How are we doing today, fellas?
1: Doing great. You know, just celebrating my, my six-year anniversary this weekend. So, uh, you know, I had to fit in a little bit of boxing, but, you know, it was a relaxing time. Spent some time uh the Georgetown area, the foggy bottom area. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a hotel out there at the river Inn. Went to a Sequoia restaurant, uh highly recommended. So, you know, nice time.
0: That's not too far from Watergate, right?
1: It's right right next to Watergate. Like you can see it. Like I you mm-hmm. can actually take a picture of Watergate.
2: <laughs> yeah, the right there. Yep. Solid, man. Happy for y'all. Once again, congrats. But um, I'm feeling good, man. Same old, nothing new for real, just getting ready for the holidays and stuff.
0: That's what's up, man. You know, we got a lot, a lot of stuff to discuss. You know, this week marks the end of duck season out there in Nebraska. And I think that that's a perfect segue into the first topic that we're going to discuss. Yesterday, you had a fight out there in Omaha, Nebraska, between Terrence Crawford. He was taking on David Avanesian. Vail, did you get a chance to see that? I know you were busy this weekend. And if you did, what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did, I did check that fight out between uh, Terrence Bud Crawford and David Avanesian. It was for uh, Crawford's WBO welterweight title. So going to this fight last week when we talking about predicting this fight, I wanted Bud to get some, you know, it will be smart for him to get some rounds in and kind of, you know, shake some of that 13-month layoff rest off. So he kind of did just that. David Avanesian went in there with a high guard. He actually landed some decent punches on Crawford, and Crawford was taking them well, which I did want Crawford to at least take something just so, you know, get used to contact because we be off that long, and then when possible fights is coming up, against a lot better opposition. So Crawford did get some some rounds in. He did what he always does. He had to show off his, you know, patience. Uh, a lot of rounds in the beginning were, were close, but you could see uh, Crawford pretty much timing Amnesian and hitting him with counters. Uh, he was working that jab, that softball jab, which is pretty, pretty good. Then once he started warming up, I think around the third round, he started landing the, the right jab to the body and jab to the head, which I think is a is a great setup shot to, to land a hook. So Crawford started to get more aggressive, I think, around the, the fourth round. And Abanesian was pretty much giving him all these openings to, to land these counters. Uh, I did like the way that Crawford was standing back, uh, waiting on those counters to, to open up for him. So a counter opened up in the sixth round when he hit Avanesian with left hand and straight left, which put Avanesian out. He didn't get up at all. So uh, Terrence Crawford, he approves to 39-0 with 30 knockouts. Avanesian falls to 29-4 with 17 knockouts.
0: Yeah, I think it was just a typical Bud-type fight. You know, he typically begins kind of slow he gets off to somewhat of a rocky kind of start a little bit. Avanesia was landing some shots on him, mainly in the, from the left-hand stance. He was kind of that right hand, like the, the lead right he was catching with, um, you know, a few times. It, it was He was catching him to the point where somebody who is um, highly acclaimed as Crawford, you wouldn't expect him to be getting hit with that shot as consistently as avonese and you know, i wasn't just blatantly bad but you know it was you know often that he was getting clipped a little bit and you just wonder you know if he's in there with somebody who's a little bit more sturdy a little bit more skill you know what effects would that have on him if he continues to get hit with that type of shot he looked to me in this fight bigger you know what i mean like a little bit like as far as he's grown into the welterweight division you know, kind of fully, but he still looks a little light and anus to me. Avenesian, like I said, he was landing those shots. Crawford, he began to make his adjustments. It's, the fight played out just the way I thought. I thought early on, he was just going to figure out Avenesian, what he was bringing to the table. And me knowing Avenesian, based on what I've seen out of him in the past, he's just a guy who, who is rough and tough, and he'll be able to overcome adversity against like the guys who are young and trying to figure out things and and figure out if they are elite or if they're not elite he's gonna be that that test for them but as far as an elite guy I can't see him defeating anybody in the top 10 because for one he's not accurate two he's kind of smallish for the 147 pound weight class he's not that big of a puncher And with all of those deficiencies, I think that other guys would just be too big, too strong, too accurate. And that was the case here. Eventually, what Crawford ended up doing is you heard the announcers. They were saying, Avanesian, his punch rate is starting to slow down a little bit. And as soon as they said that, that's when Crawford ended up landing that uppercut and then that punch that got Avanesian out of there. Like I say, typical fight. What I expected, what I didn't expect was this, or what I was hoping for after the fight, when they were asking him, they said, um, are you going to call out Errol Spence or something to that degree? And then the crowd was just waiting. Like they just on the, like the edge of their seats, just waiting to hear this man just say, you know, Spence is next. That's the fight that I want. And then he ended up saying something along the lines that we'll see. And he was just so vague in his response. And that's the reason why it's frustrating to, you know, check out Terrence Crawford fights, all the stuff that he was saying leading up to the fight, you know, initially where he was talking about, you know, he was the best and this and that. And even the stuff that he was talking about, about Charlo, he doesn't have that same energy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's frustrating. And also the last thing I'm going to say in regards to this, because really it's not even about this fight. It's more so just about Terrence Crawford and the legacy that he's going to leave after he's retired, because, You you begin to question more and more things about him when he's taking this approach. Again, I keep saying this. I have never seen a fighter who's touted like a Terrence Crawford that's moving the way he's moving. I've never seen this ever. When you have that fight, a legacy fight against your rival and you become so evasive, I've never seen that before. And the approach that he's taking you know, as far as in these press conferences and things like that, where everybody just wants to hear, like, the energy you heard Spence have, tell Crawford I'm coming for that MF belt. Like, that's what you want. And that's what's going to be one of those fights and one of those events that's going to capture and captivate, like, just, uh, that's going to be an event. And you shine away from that. And again, for me, when I see that, then it makes me question certain things about his career. Then I start looking at his resume. I'm like, oh, okay, dang, like it works, but you really haven't looked to fight like the best fighters. So then I start thinking, I'm like, when did you become pound for pound number one fighter? Like what fight propelled you to be number one? So then you start questioning those things. I still don't have a clue. What it seems to me is that Terrence Crawford benefited from being a part of top rank around the same time when they were hyping up Triple G, when they were hyping up Loma, they were hyping up um, Cito Gonzalez, and they were elevating those guys when they really didn't do anything to put themselves in that position. Now, those other guys, I have more respect for them because there is a case where they fought their rivals to be able to say, okay, well, he could be number one. You may have not agreed with it, but at the same time, they did fight fights that were tough like they fought their rivals but this guy just isn't doing it and so that's the frustrating thing for me i'm glad that you know duck season is over with we can move on to bigger and better things we got big fights that's coming up or big fights that have been um slated to come in 2023 and we even have a a big small fight next week so i look forward to those things i'm glad we got this event behind us and um let me go ahead i'm I'm gonna step away and put some more duck sauce on my meal. What you
2: think, Danny? What you say? <laughs> you know, I don't have much to you guys' point. It was pretty straightforward, played out to a T how I thought it would. I think I called the exact sixth round, if I'm not mistaken. I should have got four points for that, but it's cool. The system is the system. It's cool. Long as you got my three, buddy. Yeah, we both in there. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the only thing that I have to add is that I didn't, you know, with respect to your POV, Will, in terms of how he addressed the post-fight interview, I didn't necessarily require that because it would have been after, you know, the last time, it would have felt like lip service to me, you know what I mean? And so, you know, it would have been nice to hear it, but it would have fallen on deaf ears to me personally because at this point, he's kind of a wild card on how he's moving, And I just got to see it happen at this point. Like talking is what got him into trouble. You know, like he did the BOK Prime thing and then he kept doubling and tripling down on it, calling people broke and stuff like that. I don't want to hear him talk no more. I would like to see what he does next, hopefully being, if not spent, something to do with PBC, whether it be Charlo or whoever. And then and then he started talking again. But that's all I got. You guys have anything else?
0: Well, what I'm hearing is this, is that they're trying to box Crawford in where they're putting boots to be his mandatory. So it's either you're going to go and fight him or you're going to fight Spence or you're going to relinquish the belt and Spence and boots will fight for the WBO strap. That's what I'm hearing because Mm -hmm. all of this, this teetering and waiting and. You know, black crime and fighting these type of events—that's not going to cut it because it's too many guys. You you're stagnating them because if they would have went ahead and had this event, you would have had an undisputed championship match between Spence and then and Crawford. Whoever comes out of that will be the number one guy. Or if, let's say, for instance, Spence one. Spence won, He's giving up those belts and he's going to 154. Then that sets those other guys up: Stannionis against Ortiz for this particular belt. You got Boots will take on maybe Thurman or somebody else like that for that belt. But they had it planned out the way they wanted to have it planned out. But he stalled things for the, which enabled, like, like it just had a domino effect of creating more chaos. So now, like I said, it sounds like they're trying to um, put boots or make boots that uh, mandatory title defense for Crawford so he
2: can, you know, they're trying to corner him in. It makes sense. I'm I'm with that because you know Crawford did what it what was best for herself, and you know the sanctioning bodies got it, and PBC got to do what's best for them as well. So I can't even knock it. In general, I'll just say this: like on the grand scheme, it's inter- we're in an interesting time because a lot of these weight classes are in a position where whatever guard we've been used to are kind of transitioning out of that. Like if you look at one thirty five. Eventually, you know, if we was talking Garcia, you know, Haney Tio at one point, and now more than likely Haney gonna fight one more fight and move up to 140. And then at 140, Taylor he got stripped of those belts, and so now you're seeing fights being made at 140. 147, you know, probably Crawford and Spence probably got one fight left, and then they move up to 154, and then in the heavyweight division, too. So uh, all that to say, you know, we're in interesting times and for these guys in particular, it'll be interesting to see the way it shakes out in twenty twenty three. Anything else?
1: But this is a personal message to you. I hope that ten million dollars is worth it. But please make that fight happen. That's all I'm going to say. But hope that ten million dollars is worth it.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things that I, I, you know, I hate to keep, you know, going on and on. But there's just so many thoughts that I have in regards to this because you open up a, another discussion, Danny. As far as this era that we're in, where you got situations where guys the obvious fight that the fans want that they figure out a way not to make those fights in some cases it i can understand it to a certain degree right like the the only reason i really didn't go hard on the 135 pounders is because no one was declaring them like pound for pound number one you know what i'm saying now teo Ticked me off because of the fact that he ended up, you know, beating Lomachenko, didn't want to give him a rematch, didn't really want to fight any of the other guys, you know what I mean? And he was just holding a belt kind of hostage for a second, you know, just being full of himself. So that was a frustrating thing. Anthony Joshua obviously didn't want to fight Deontay Wilder and that ended up backfiring. Um, it's just with, with this fight here, you have the so-called number one pound for pound fighter in the world. With that that distinction, like when you are classified as that, then that comes with huge a huge responsibility, and you 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 can't have that mantle. You can't be put on that mantle if you've never had that moment where we can clearly, definitively say, "Yeah, he did that." He he. And you don't even you don't necessarily have to go through adversity. You just have to be in a fight with somebody who's your either your rival or somebody that is a huge talent challenge. He's never done that, and so that's the reason why when HBO see this is the thing. Sometimes you know what the, the roosters come home to hatch, and this is the situation HBO and the and the powers that be, Ring Magazine, and all of them. They created this problem, ESPN, Bob Arum. Let's see, Bob Arum, I think what he was doing was he had to have his hands on a welterweight. Terrence Corp is a talented guy. I can't get those other guys, and I need somebody to promote that's going to kind of offset what PBC has with all of the welterweights. So I don't really blame him. And then Bud, he got in a situation where they began to reward him and make him out to be better or bigger than he was. Again, I can't put a guy, and remember, we were doing our pound for pound. That's why I'm saying I can't put a guy number one with that resume. For one, you just got some guys can look good against less than stellar opposition, but when they meet, you don't know what they're gonna do once they face adversity against another upper echelon guys and they haven't faced different styles and things like that. So you don't know that. And then, two, if I go ahead and already put you number one, you haven't fought anybody. Then and you have been fighting less than stellar opposition. What makes me think that you're not going to continue to do that because I already put you up here as number one, pound for pound, without fighting anybody. So why would I fight him now? And so that's the problem that they, they 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 created. You know, they created a monster. But anyway, man, salute to to him. Um, what I did appreciate of like I, I as a man, I like Buck Crawford. You know, because I, I like what he stands for as far as his family and things like that. He's not a good father. But this boxing thing, man, he really. It's ticked me off, man, as far
2: as the moves that he's been making. I feel much better now. (laughs) I'm glad for you. Moving on to Wabbit season. Yes, sir. (laughs) But moving over to the top-ranked card, we had Teofimo Lopez Jr. He was back in action on Heisman night. That's kind of become his thing at this point. Uh, He fought a very game challenger in Sandor Martin. How did you see that playing out?
0: Yeah, I'll try to be as quick as I possibly can on this because I was kind of watching this as well as the buff fight at the same time, like kind of simultaneously. Um, but what I will say is this that you know, you had Tia Fimo, man, he was on a fast track, you know, the superstar status, beating Lomachenko, had the early victories like against Komei, like knockout of the year type fights. You know, he was a little dynamo, you know, after he suffered that loss to Cambosis and then he ended up moving up to 140, he does he looks a little or a lot more unsure of himself and he looks a lot more vulnerable. Um, he didn't look like that power punch and dynamo that we're accustomed to seeing yesterday. And then even in that previous fight, but the fight that he fought before the guy was just a little too slow, you know, and he wasn't skilled enough to take advantage of some of the opportunities that, that Tia Fimo left out there. What I noticed in this fight with Tio and Martin was that he was looking for like one punch at a time. And I was like, dang, Tio, like you, you put some combinations together. Also, what he was doing. He didn't use a jab pretty much at all. Mark Martin was out there. He was looking crafty. Plus he's a Southpaw and he was working his jab. He was very confident. And at 140, Martin is a, is a pretty big, solid, strong 140 pound guy. Although he's not a power puncher, he's not, um, he, he's, he's pretty physically strong. And Tio, he just kept coming in the same way, like right down the middle. He would try to run in and throw his punches. And then Martin, sometimes he would step to the side and then he would hit him with that right hand. Like it was like a delayed reaction where Tio would come in, overcommit, and then he'll land a right hand. And consequently, in the second round, he ended up dropping him. And they could have gave him credit for another knockdown later in the fight, too. I want to say it was around the seventh round. All in all, you know, watching the fight, man, I think that Tio. I would say I would have him winning the fight very in a very close fight. And the reason why I say that, I just think Martin, he should have uh, sat down on his punches just a little bit more to show he was in control because Tio was bringing the fight, even though it was rather amateurish the way he was approaching it. He, he kind of looked like a good amateur in there yesterday. But I just think that if he would have stayed there just a little bit more. It's kind of like, to me, when Lara fought Canelo. I thought that I can see why Canelo got the nod in that victory. It was just because I thought that Laura was just moving just slightly too much. And that gave um, Canelo the opportunity in a judge's eyes to say that he was kind of like the aggressor in a fight. And if you like that type of style, then you can lean towards that particular person and you will lean towards that that person if they're the marquee guy on the bill. So you know, taking those things into consideration, that's the reason why I thought that I could see Tio winning that fight. I didn't really judge it or score it because, like I said, I was in between both fights, but just based on what I saw. But what I will say is this, is that I think Teo right now, he needs a new trainer. You know, I think he's gotten everything he could out of his father. His father may need to stay in the corner to maybe know certain things about him to motivate him, to make him, you know, fight harder or certain things like that. But as far as like just giving him some more useful tools that could help him and add on to what he already has, because he's very athletic, he's very powerful, he's very quick. He's a dynamo, but it's just not harnessed in a way that will help him be able to beat some of those top 140 pound fighters. I think like maybe most of them, probably the top eight, seven he, he definitely wants to shy away from them now because they're just too big and too strong uh, for him. And they have a little bit more know-how. He just, he's still wet behind the ears. And I remember when he won a belt, you know, I was saying, even though he's a champion, he's still rather green right now, although he, he he's a titleist. And then the last thing I'm going to say, you know, is that he should regroup. I would stay away from boxing, you know, for a while, you know, get my head right. And most importantly, he needs to stop calling off those top guys, because I'm going to say this in closing. Haney, body bag. Taylor, body bag. Rougarou will put Ti.O. 's body bag in a body bag. That's all I have to say.
2: Before I justify itself, I think when I look at the last year and change for him, it's been like a perfect storm. Like on one hand... He outgrew 135, but he grew into a division that he might be too small or just not powerful enough for. And then, you know, you could argue that his the fame kind of got to his head a little bit. And I don't know anything about this, but you know, it, it's been said that he has some he has some issues going on in his family. Now, to your point, Will, I'm very, very lukewarm on Tio Sr. as a trainer. You know, he's gotten him this far, and salute to him for that, but It just doesn't seem like Junior responds to him at this point. And unfortunately, when you compare T.O. Senior to, say, a Bill Haney, like I remember at some point within the last year or two, Bill Haney removed himself from top trainer for Devin and gave Devin the opportunity to say to, to hire who he wanted to hire as his head trainer. And he ended up getting rehired, you know, along with. Uh, like a uh, Ben Davidson and Mickey Bay, so on and so forth, but Bill Haney had the wherewithal to to see what his son needed, or at least to let his son make an adult decision as an adult to do that. Unfortunately, I think that Tio Senior has too big of an ego to remove himself like that, and I don't know if Junior has it in him to remove his father as trainer. Now, I think that going into the fight itself. You know, Martin, he was slick as expected. Where I thought he went wrong was that he just wasn't active enough. There were several rounds where he was kind of Danny Garcia-ish in the sense that, like, in some of those, like, elite championship fights that Garcia, like, kind of barely lost, he would kind of, like, stand there and wait for the guy to throw so he could counter. And I felt like there were a few moments in a few rounds where, martin got to that low and it may have cost him some rounds in the judge's eyes i know like i was unofficially scoring it and it cost him a few of those rounds in my eyes now i thought that teal jab was gonna make the difference but like you said well he really wasn't able to make much happen behind it when he did throw it and then you could tell he was getting frustrated because he started throwing this like looping shot towards the middle of the end round that really was like he would kind of leap into it um, and I don't think Martin took advantage of that particular shot as much as he could, but he did, he was taking advantage and he was getting counters off, you know? And so he was just getting like frustrated and moving into the post fight. Some very bad signs I saw was in his body language going into the 10th. T. O. Senior was basically pleading with him to like turn up for this last round and for him to blame Mart Martin at the end of the fight for running. You know, he was sounding real Edgar Berlanga-ish, you know? Like, we we knew, everyone knew what Martin was going to come in to do. You know, like, it's boxing. You have to hit and not get hit. And then at the end, you know, I won't go too much into this, but, you know, they, they actually showed the clip on ESPN+, Plus where after the fight was over, he's saying to his team, like, bro, do I still have it? Like, obviously, the talent is there, but he's clearly in mental war like he's at war with himself and that is going to be hard for him to win moving forward because now he's doubting himself and on top of that his opposition is seeing that and it's a perfect opportunity for them to use that against them and so you know um I wish him well like I don't know the guy personally by any means but I, I you know I wish him well moving forward I don't know what it's going to look like but you know, I wish him well, and um, I thought it was a good fight for Martine. I thought this was one of those fights where he probably gained more fans in the way that he lost. You know, the garden was silent, and that was Teo's hometown. I scored it 95-94 in favor of Fimo, but it was very close, and you could argue that that second knockdown that the ref ruled a slip Could have and should have been a knockdown, in which case it would have. I would have scored the draw. Um, That's all I got. What about you, Bill?
1: Same thing. I I honestly think that that knockdown. And I think it was in the seventh. I thought it was more more of a knockdown than what I saw in in the second, which was kind of like a. It was a check hook, but kind of it seemed like it grazed a little bit. Even though that's still a knockdown, I think both were actually knockdowns. But to your point, I think Tiafimo Lopez' big one of his strengths is really his biggest weakness is that he just. He's too emotional, and that can be up and that's an up and down type of fighter where you know he's doubting himself because he's just working off emotion and not really, you know, logic and sticking to the game plan, sticking to what's being said, sticking to you know, the trainer's instructions, his father. And, and I I definitely, I believe it was you will that said that he needs a new trainer, and I, I definitely agree with that, uh, because that dynamic is just there are two emotional guys. You can't have an emotional trainer and an emotional fighter like that, where it doesn't work for the fighter. Like you can look at an example with Danny Garcia and his father, his father is emotional, but he really isn't. He's more, you know, a uh, logical, you know, getting there and stick to the game plan type of dude. And so, and that's why that, that works for him. Plus he has a different, you know, resolve than Teofimo Lopez. That's not speaking bad on Teofimo Lopez. It's just that he's a different type of fighter. Uh, And needs a trainer that's going to bring all the good stuff out of him and suppress all the, the negative stuff. Uh, so Lopez, I mean, he, you know, it, it was a back and forth fight, close, very, very close fight. Uh, Lopez bloody Martine's nose. Uh, I heard it was it was a head, but I, I didn't really see where Martin's nose start bleeding. But yeah, he put him, you know, Martin put him down in the second round. And Martin was doing a great job of, you know, making uh, Lopez come to him, making Lopez, you know, start those exchanges, but he would counter, you know, with, with the check hooks and, You know, and and he'll move to step to the side and use his footwork uh, counter. That's really the way he fights. And that's one of my issues with Lopez comments after the fight, talking about he ran. I mean, have you seen this guy fight? Have you seen clips of this guy? This is like how he fights. You know, so it's your job to nullify what he does good. And I thought that Lopez, he was trying to do what he does, but, but he wasn't really trying to really change what Martin was doing. You know, he didn't pressure him well. He wasn't cutting off the ring well. He didn't really set any traps because Martín was able to move away from the traps easier than than he should have. And you can see López getting frustrated over the fight, you know. So even though, you know, you can argue that López won his fight, I didn't really like his, you know, his resolve and his performance. I I thought he could have did better, better things, even though I I knew that Martín would uh, provide a challenge for him. And and I think it is going to be rough for him going forward. You know, you do have those guys in 135 that's, you know, coming up. You have the, uh, the, the Devin Haney's, you know, you have the uh, the Garcia's tanks. And then you have the Pro Grays. Then you have Gary Antoine Russell, which I think, you know, that will be interesting to fight, you know, for uh, a Lopez, given that Lopez, you know, fights emotional like that and he has those deficiencies. So it be interesting going forward. And hopefully, you know, Lopez could, Take a look. And one of the biggest problems I, I do have with Lopez, he's not really looking at the big picture. He's saying, Oh, you ran, uh, you know, but we all see that he's questioning himself and he should just be honest with himself, honest with everybody, and just say, hey, Look, you know, it wasn't my best performance. You know, I made some mistakes, but I'm going to a drawn board and come back better. And I don't see that. I don't care how arrogant a fighter is. Great fighters still look at their performance. They look at certain things they do, and they say, I could do that better. You know, I'm going to come back better next time. Uh, no matter how arrogant they are, whether it's uh, uh, Ali or Mayweather, they all look at what they do, little things they do, and they say, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do better. And that's kind of what I would want Lopez to do if he if he's going to grow going forward. Anything else uh, you guys want to share?
0: I'm good on T. need to chill out for a while.
1: Sit down somewhere. Uh, so also, um, uh, there are some other, you know, fights that was going on to the cards. Did any of those stand out to any of y'all?
2: Yeah, a few of them, you know, first of all, and I kind of go in order that Jared Anderson versus Jerry Forrest fight. I initially thought in the first like 30 to 45 seconds that Anderson was getting caught clean too much in the first round, which is still true. Like, he would do this thing. I think Tim Bradley called it out, but he would lean straight back and didn't get his head off to the side. And so he would avoid the first punch, but he left himself open for what was coming behind that. And like I said, it lasted a good 30 to 45 seconds before he turned it up. And he said after the fight, you know, once he kept getting caught, and to his credit, he was pretty unbothered by it, but once he got caught, he just started seeing red, and then he he went off, man. It was a... second round knockout and through let's say the round and a half as a heavyweight he landed 79 out of 160 punches with 20 body shots he landed 52 out of 103 power shots versus forrest who landed 22 out of 60 in the whole fight itself and so his punch output got pretty pretty ridiculous (laughs) uh really quick but, you know, like it was a good showing from him. It was supposed to be a step up. Jerry Force has been in there with a lot of the elite heavyweights. And so, you know, I'm banking on him improving what got him caught. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier. You know, a lot of those elite heavyweights, those top four, even if you want to go top five in Anthony Joshua, they're 32 or 33 and up, whereas this guy is about 22, 23. So there will be a change in the going go out pretty soon, and I, I think you can pretty safely hang your hat on Jared Anderson being one of those guys at the top. Now, I thought Xander Zayas looked good. I thought this was one of those fights where it wasn't, like, a visually impressive win, but top rank matched him well because Salazar wasn't there to make him look good. He was there to test him and for him to, to help him, like, level up. And so uh, I thought he had a good showing overall. Keyshawn obviously looked good. He came into the fight 6-0. and He fought Juan Carlos Burgos, who was 35-6-3 with 21 knockouts coming in. So pretty hefty record. And he has fought the likes of Devin Haney and Mikey Garcia. Now, Burgos th- normally throws 60 to 70 punches around, but Keyshawn just did a good job of going to the body early. He was using the jab to keep him at range and was asserting himself to the point where Burgos almost didn't even want to throw because he was afraid of what was coming back. And really, if if he weren't such a veteran that he was, Burgos, he probably got him out of there. And so um, Keyshawn moved up to seven and zero, and he looked really good doing it. Some of them in the post fight were kind of crying him kind of early, but I think that he does have what it takes to get to that high level in that weight class but i think that he won't really get his real chances until he probably moves up to 140 we'll see how top rain wants to fast track him because they're fast tracking him and he keeps passing these tests with flying colors so it'll be interesting to see where he goes as well but that's all i had did you have anything you wanted to say bill
1: no sir so also you know there there was a fight a pretty tough Brit that has a reputation, you know. His name is Josh Warranty took on uh, Luis Alberto Lopez. Uh, I understand Danny, you checked that fight out. What are your thoughts on this fight, particular fight?
2: Yeah, man, this was a strange fight to watch. It was a a visually tough fight to watch because you know, Lopez, he came in aggressive, but he kept his chin up when he threw and he kind of leaped, he kind of leapt in at awkward angles and he throws like super wide, like some of some of those uppercuts he was throwing almost looked like, I think I sent y'all that clip after Swaggy P fought. (laughs) And he was throwing like, his uppercuts were looking like a little Swaggy Pierce at times, you know, Um, but he was effective. He was catching them. And so, you know, someone like Lopez, who throws wide and wild and with his chin up like that, you would want to, if I'm fighting somebody like that, I would want to put myself in a position to get some counter hooks off. Because he's dropping a guard in order to throw that. But Warrington just couldn't take advantage overall. He was landing cleaner punches in some spots, and I guess overall, but his aggression was just fewer and farther between. You know, this headbutting thing is also a clear pattern at this point. He got him with a few dirty shots throughout the fight, actually. But you know, Warrington just has a headbutt problem, and his his biggest success. Came when he was working behind a jab, but he just wasn't throwing enough of them. He was also doing this weird thing where, like, he'll have the high guard and then he'll, like, duck his head and move forward and then start to throw. So it's like, you know, you've had all these headbutt incidents against previous fighters and you coming in and head first still. I don't quite understand what he was doing, you know, but they're called championship rounds for a reason. And to Warrington's credit, I thought he went to last four. Of those rounds in the fight. Um, and it seemed like he wanted it more and he knew he was behind. But even with that, I still scored at 115, 113 in Lopez's favor. You know, um, I, I think for Lopez, though, you gotta close that fight out stronger, especially when you're a challenger fighting in the man's country. But he did do enough. The unofficial card had it as a draw, which I kind of could have seen, and then uh the official cards Lopez won by majority decision. Uh, they also had two judges also had at 115 113 and then another judge obviously scored the draw but I don't know what's gonna happen with Warrington at this point you know he's looked very human since that loss to Lara and even before that he was looking susceptible but I don't know if he's gonna try to rematch or if he's just gonna go back to the drawing board if I'm at 126 You know, somebody like Lopez, I want to move up in a division. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's a lot of things there to be exploited. Like, I want to move up. When I say division, I mean I want to move up in that sanctioning body so I can become a mandatory because it just feels like those top guys there are going to be able to get that build up off him. But it was a good showing from him. I thought that uh, he came in confident, came in with his chin high, fought with his chin high. Walked away with his chin high. So, you know, salute to him, though. But that's all I had on that.
1: When it comes to Josh Warrington, I mean, to me, I think he's just on a downside. He's only downhill from, from here. So it's going to be interesting uh, going forward to see what type of fights he takes. He was kind of, a, even in my eyes, at his height, he was a volume puncher, uh, sort of a, a Ricky Hatton light. Uh, but he didn't have a lot of power also. I mean, he was stunned guys, but he was struggling to get guys out of there. Uh, more than the, than the other fighters at his weight class. So so I think he's kind of – he might be on the downside, burned out a little bit, and it's only going to get rougher from here, in my opinion, for Josh Warrington.
0: Yeah, the shelf life for those type of guys, it, it doesn't last long, you know. So it's, it's inevitable for them to be able to, you know, last, and you're going to start seeing them, you know, on the downside – maybe quicker than guys who fight differently or have more power or just have more skill in general. But see, I I just put him in a category as one of those guys that he always has to be on 10. I'm saying as far as his approach, he always has to have that edge. If he's like slacking and he really isn't able to get up for his opponent, um, he's going to look very vulnerable. He's going to look very basic. And. Um, un-championship caliber like if he's like that and I think that if he's on he's clicking his antennas are up then I think he's he's really competitive against most guys I think for him yesterday that was probably the best case scenario for him is that he fought him he lost and this will buy him some more time where he can you know when his career's over with, he can say that he was a two, three-time champion and he came back to defeat the guys that defeated him. And so this will give him an opportunity to get the rematch, get a win, and then maybe one last bout, you know, the the to, to exit out of the sport. That's a, a pretty big payday. You know, um, I think that if he's on his game, I think that he'll fare better against uh yeah, Lopez. I think he he'll be able to get him out of there because I just don't think that he was able to get up for him. You know, when you look at Rivera and the people that he faced before, you would think that it was like another easy fight for Warrington out there in the UK. But saying all that to say, because when I look at guys like, I don't think he wants to face Lara again because Lara has that power you know, I don't think that he'll be able to defeat somebody like Maxio. Maxio is just a little have, has similar volume, but he punches harder than him. And I don't even think that they would even face each other. He definitely not going to be Ray Vargas. You know what I'm saying? And Navarrete is is, is out of out of there. Um, so this would be a good situation for him, you know, as far as um, his, his legacy and then also as far as how lucrative it could be another rematch, you know, the UK love that type of story. You know what I mean? They are going to make it out to be like, he's the jolly green giant. You know what I'm saying? When it's all said and done. So shout out to him, you know, for taking the L, you know what I'm saying? I know normally you don't say that, but you know, I think that this going to work out for the old uh, young man from the UK. Anything else you guys have on that?
2: I don't have anything else on that one. You guys didn't see Ebony Bridges, did you? Yeah, I
0: saw her in there swinging them punches, but, you know, I'll let you go ahead and cook on
2: her. Yeah, man, last one's at the bar. You know, we are for women's boxing out here. You know what I mean? I just wanted to shout her out. Uh, Just real quick, I'll say that I would have liked to see more of a variation in her punches. You know, she threw a lot of one twos, but to her credit, she did go to the body when O'Connell got tired and you could tell she was stinking in there. There are a few moments where O'Connell's head was down and was there for the uppercut, but Bridges didn't take advantage. But she came in there; she was aggressive. She had effective head movement, especially when O'Connell's volume decreased. And I thought that she looked good overall. Like I thought in the third, she was gonna get her out of there Uh, when O'Connell got knocked down. But she toughed it out. But O'Connell just didn't like she wanted to be in there for the rest of the fight. And so, uh, you know, she moves on to nine and one. She's still the champion at bantamweight. I'm not entirely sure what that ben scene is looking like in the woman's side, but she has a good thing going with her, you know, and kind of how she kind of feeds into the sort of reputation she has and, you know, her endorsement deals and stuff like that. So, you know, um, shout out to her. But moving forward to next week, we have a a, a Dark Horse potential match of the year favorite, fight of the year candidate. Um, we have Michelle rivera he's fighting Frank Martin and kind of a sink or swim fight on Showtime. They both are undefeated. So somebody's all got to go. How do you see this fight playing out fellas?
1: So this, this is a fight that, you know, when it was signed, I was surprised, but also looking forward to, uh, you have two undefeated guys, Mikhail Rivera. He, if you don't know who he is, is a guy that looks like they say he looks like Ali, but he looks like a combination of Ali and Julian Jackson. Uh, He's 24 and zero with 14 knockouts at lightweight, which this fight is uh, going on at, you know, he's kind of tall at five foot nine, uh, 71 inch wingspan. Now he's gonna take on Frank Martin, who was 16 and 0 with 10 knockouts, well, 12 knockouts, I'm sorry, five foot eight with 68 inch wingspan. I think Martin has a better resume, but I think Rivera has he looks flashier in fights. And I think that's gonna be key in this fight, especially when it comes to the judging of this fight. Uh, both guys have uh, power. I mean, Frank Martin was able to get Jackson Marinez out of there, you know, which was uh, impressive in the way he did it. Uh, one thing I do like about Frank Martin is he, is he goes to the body. You know, he jabs well. Both guys use their legs. Uh, I think Rivera is more flashy. He uses uses his legs because he has a uh, he comes off with of snappier combinations. But both guys are, are, are great combination punchers, you know, for the level that they're at. I do like Martin's softball uh, jab, you know, and he's more of a counter puncher, which I think will play into this fight. So I do think that the way this fight is going to go, I predict a, a close fight, but I do predict that Frank Martin's experience is slight because he has a slightly better experience than Miguel Rivera. I think his experience is going to show. Uh, and, and he ha- I think I'm not, I'm not sure who has the better poise, but I'm sure that Frank Martin is poised. He comes off as as a poised fighter. So I think that's going to play out, you know, in those exchanges where these are, are two heavy hitters and they've been, you know, getting guys out of there. Uh, so the bigger question is what's going to happen when they hit one another and they can't get their opponent out of there. And I think Frank Martin is more poised to deal with that. So, um, I do have Frank Martin winning this fight by, uh, decision might be a split decision it'll be a close fight but I, I i can see this fight being a robbery too i can see them giving this fight to rivera just because you know rivera is probably it's probably more of a money train behind him he's probably the more marketable fighter but i have frank martin win this fight by decision
0: this is a man down production though you know So, you know, shout out to Errol Spence. We'll see what it looked like next week in comparison to that fiasco out there in Omaha. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That BLBB, whatever they call that junk. But, you know, like I said, shout out to my main man, E. Spence, for, you know, being a promoter in this attractive event. To me, this is a truly a 50-50 fight. You know, this is a good, solid fight for, you know, somebody who's on, not necessarily on a fast track, but somebody who wants to test himself. And like I said, commend both young fellas for you know taking on this challenge because they certainly don't have to I look at this a little bit differently um I think that Rivera with the amount of fights that he's had I think at the pro level he's more experienced that's the way I see it but this fight is going to tell us a lot about both guys both guys are big big and strong for the 135 pound weight class Um, To me, Frank Martin, he fights similarly to Errol Spence, where he gets in there and he gets stronger and he goes to another gear. And it just seems like he gets stronger and better throughout the fight where he's constantly wearing his opponent down. Now, Rivera, on the other end, what I like about him is he's a classic, kind of like a boxer puncher. He likes to fight from the outside. He's very good at judging distance and getting this stuff off where he kind of mitigates his opponent where they're not able to get off their stuff because he's tall, he's long, and he keeps you at a range where he's comfortable. And you're at least likely to be able to get at him where you are more comfortable or where you're most comfortable. And so he's really good at that. Uh, Martin, he likes to work that jab and he throws more punches to the body than um, Rivera, Now, here's the key. Like I said, it's a 50-50 fight because you just don't know what both guys are going to do once they're in front of each other. But my take is this. Rivera, in the fights that I've seen of him, he's very talented, man. Like I said, in the inside, he throws some sharp uppercuts, and his vision is really good in there. But the difference between the opponents that Rivera has faced. Now, it's going to be on the flip side of that too where where um Martin what he's going to experience that he hasn't experienced before is somebody who's going to keep you who loves to fight from the outside as long, that can jab, that can um just paint the perfect picture with his punches. You know, he hasn't faced that just yet. Now, on the flip side of that, you're going to have Rivera is going to find somebody who doesn't give you time to like just calculate the data and do what it is that you want to do in a comfortable way where he's going to put that physical pressure on you, that mental pressure. So that's the thing to me, which guy is going to be able to withstand the pressure and fighting at a pace that they probably aren't used to facing or fighting at against uh, the caliber of fighter that they're facing. Who's going to be able to do that for, for, longer periods of time once the fight gets into the later rounds. I think that that would favor Martin because I've seen him typically get stronger at the end of a fight. Now, again, it may not be the case here because he may be eating some punches that he hadn't been eating before because he's fighting a better fighter. He might run into a guy who's stronger than most of the fighters that he's faced before, so that might end up backfiring on him, but just based on what I've seen from both guys, I think the pace will favor Martin because he likes to fight at a faster pace. So I'm going to say I'll give uh, Martin the edge slightly, 52-48, uh, and I'll say that he'll come out of here
2: with a unanimous decision. Yeah, you guys made very good points. You know, Martin, he is a relatively newer fighter. You know, I I, I was doing some research on him. He started fighting at 18, and he had a, a very quick amateur career, went 16-4, Between 2015 and 2017, then he turned pro. Now he is 27. Rivera is also relatively new. You know, He went 23 amateurs, and then he turned pro at 18 years old in 2016. And so they both are relatively new to the game. Rivera is a little bit more experienced at the pro level. Another thing is Rivera has that 3-inch reach advantage. And for that reason, I think that Martin will really need to – keep the fight on the inside as much as he can because if it comes down to the jab if you look at his fight against jackson marinas and marinas came in on a short notice he kept getting countered when he threw that jab out he kept getting countered by marinas and on top of that rivera has a a longer reach than even marinas i believe marinas had a 69 inch reach and so that is definitely something that Rivera could exploit you know with that reach and experience advantage for Rivera even with that it is a true 50-50 fight I'm actually glad that you guys went first because we're at we're in what December it's only a few fights left in the year and I gotta get back on these cars like I'm gaining on y'all a little bit but I need to get back in there and so um, because it's 50-50 fight I'm gonna go like 50 point five percent rivera decision <laughs> so i'm not saying that with great confidence i'm saying it to be anti y'all so i can maybe get back in the game so this could be my make a break i'm gonna just say rivera just for that reason y'all made it easy for me y'all got anything else you have the, the numbers right now as far as what what's what it's looking like as far as the totals you got 106 veil you got 103
1: i got 101 that's not that's why i would want me to go first <laughs>
0: no it was your turn sir you know that's
2: all but <laughs>
0: it, here's the thing is that, that that's it I'm the champ it's a few more fights we can we can throw no, some uh, no we can't that's it man we ain't gonna throw nothing that's, that's that's, it's that's
1: a fight it's a fight so next it's a, week it's a fight it's next, a next week.
2: week it's a ceremony it's 131st yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man but no it's all good man but uh as far as that fight is concerned i think that it's going to be that's that's what we want man we want those type of fights you know at, especially at 135 and you alluded to it earlier that those guys that's never really mixed it up with one another and these guys here it's good to see because i think that depending on how the guy who loses lose that they are still be in the game. Like, they're still so young that they can work on a few things to get right back, you know, into contention. And, you know, you just want to see, you know, still sharp and still. And you want to see where you are. And they're not getting any... Those other guys aren't going to just be willing to jump in the ring with them because they're that dangerous. But at the same time, it's not like they're mandated to face them. So they have to make some noise this way. And I wish those other guys had to make noise this way in order to get some of the accolades and popularity that they're getting, but we'll see, man. This, this should be a good one. I'm I'm proud of both guys for taking this on such a challenging task at this stage of their careers. All right. Before we wrap things up, man, you know, it's a couple um, things that happened in the news this week that I would like to get your thoughts on. First and foremost, the Tim zoo and Jamel Charlo fight has been finalized for January 28th, 2023. You guys have any thoughts on that matchup that's going to take place early 2023?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I believe that Zoo. He, you know, he asked for this fight. Uh, he might even be uh, Jamel Charlo's mandatory. But honestly, I don't, I don't think he's ready for uh, Jamel Charlo. I think he, Jamel Charlo is proven. He staked his claim to, to uh, all four belts with his victory over uh, Brian Castaño earlier this year. He actually has a claim to even be, you know, fighter of the year. So going up against Tim Zhu, we saw in his last fight. Uh, I'm trying to remember who that fight was against. They went down. Gouche, uh, Gouche, Goucher, yeah, ter- ter- uh, Terrell, Terrell Gouche. And I thought that that's a that's a telling sign, especially against a guy like uh, uh Charlo, who, who has proven power. The thing, the weird thing about Charlo is, in comparison to his his, his brother, in the beginning he was looked at as. The, the one that isn't wasn't the puncher you know but he's developed into the one that has more proven power over better opposition he's fought better opposition than his, his older brother up to this point and it's more proven he, he just has a way about him of, of just, just finding those shots uh, regardless of where he is in the fight he can be losing the fight he just has a way of just dogging down and, and finding the right shots at the right time And I think that's going to work against someone like uh, tim zoo who while, while he's good he, he fights in a in a style that's kind of you know a, he, of course it's a euro style but it still seems like he has some kinks that probably should have been taken care of you know <laughs> in an amateur career so uh i don't think it's a good fight for zoo great fight for charlo and i think charlo is gonna get a uh, highlight reel knockout
2: yeah first of all i want to shout out charlo because he's one of those guys in boxing who just been handling the business he he he's cleaned out his division pretty much like obviously other guys have come up since he's been doing his thing but he he went out and got all the belts that's how he became undisputed and so he continues to take on these guys as for zoo i personally don't think that Goucher is a type of person you want to fight like it just feels like there should have been more of an in-between fight between Gouche and between Charlo. Like I know he's higher ranked in that sanctioning body, but I felt like Fandor is a little bit more deserving of that shot. But that said, you know I think it'll be a good fight for what it is. I think Charlo is going to handle business here, but should be a good fight. Yeah,
0: it's amazing how Tim Zoo fights so much like his father. Like they, they're just like. Splitting images of each other, he fights the same way. It's just he doesn't have. He just isn't as dynamic as, as his father. um But he, he's a good, 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 good fighter, man. I, um Again, he's another guy that I have the command, man. You know, you you going against the top guy, or you calling out the top guy in that division. It's going to be interesting because it's going to depend. And I think that, and Vale, you said earlier that uh, Jamil was the one who was the boxer at first. And then his brother was known as like the knockout artist. And it kind of the roles have like switched. And I, I I attribute that to the work that he's been putting in with Derrick James. Like Once he got with Derrick James, he kind of developed more of a style where he isn't moving around as much. He's more flat footed, but in a good way. And he's putting more emphasis on his shots than he did before. He always had the tools. It was just, you know, the little basic fundamentals that Derek James teaches that you see that in Spence, you see that in Charlo, you see that with Martin, you know, but it's varying degrees. Like one fighter is like up here a little bit more. It's like a level, a minus. And then we have to see where Frank Martin is um, this upcoming week. But like I said, I commend both guys. Uh, Charlo, this is a good in-between type fight, but he better be careful. If he doesn't catch Zoo looks like he's open. Um, the Gouche fight, I felt initially, I'm like, man, dude, if you're getting touched up by Gouche, if you're getting dropped by Gouche, then, you know, it's going to end up bad for you against Charlo. And... In my mind, as I think about the fight playing out, I think that's more likely of the case of what's going to happen here is that eventually he's going to get caught with something and Charlo is somebody you can't, once he smelled blood, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? He's going to go for it. He has a real sturdy chin. My thing is, is, see, Charlo looks vulnerable sometimes. Like sometimes he might be, you know, losing a fight and then next thing you know, boom, he might catch somebody like the Jackson fight I remember the um, Harrison fights, you know, he looked vulnerable, um, but then sometimes he just, you get you out of there quickly, you know? So I just think at some point he's going to catch him, but Tim Zhu is confident. Like he's very confident. And if he can implement his style onto Charlo, will Charlo be able to make that adjustment in order to get him out of there? And I think eventually he probably would, but I wouldn't count Zou out. You know what I mean? I just I just wouldn't count him out. But shout out to both guys for finalizing that deal for January 28, 2023. Also, the following week, you will have uh, another fight that has been finalized. And you got Oscar, Oscar Valdez. He's going to be taking on Emmanuel Navarrete. What are your thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, the more I think about this fight and the more I watch both guys, the more I believe this is going to be a, a pretty good fight. Oscar Valdez, I know there's a lot of questions after his loss to Shakur Stevenson, but, but don't let that fool you. I mean, Shakur Stevenson is a great talent. I think he might turn out to be one of the pop of pound number one fighters, you know, in the future, in the next five years, plus Valdez, you know, Olympian has a great, uh, amateur pedigree. And I think that'll serve him well. Uh, and even though he's shorter than Navarrete, I think he's bigger than Navarrete. Navarrete, um, you know, uh, he's been on a run since he had a loss maybe early in his career when he had like five fights. But since then, he's been on a run, especially since his uh, wins over uh, Neho, Isaac Dog Bay, which is uh, very brutal fights. But again, those fights were at 122 and then Navarrete moved up to 126. But one of the things I think may work against Navarrete uh, competition wise is he, is he didn't really take is some fights at 126 that really didn't happen that could have like with the fights with Gary Russell, or even the fights with Maxio. Those fights, you know, would would have been good fights in in preparation to someone of Oscar Valdez. So I think Oscar Valdez has the edge in this fight, and I think he'll win this.
2: Yeah, this is for, I think you said it, but for the WBO, the vacant title. Um, This also be Navarrete's first fight at 130. They both have shown vulnerabilities in recent fights. I think that Valdez to his credit has shown vulnerability against higher caliber fighters. Like Navarrete was looking shaky against Eduardo Baez, you know? And so when I look at who has the higher ceiling, I will have to say, I trust Valdez's team and his abilities more so than I trust Navarrete, but it should be a good fight. And I'm, early pick but i'm picking valdez to go with it i still haven't like studied like tape or anything in depth but that's what i'm going with but it should be a good fight like shout out to you know again shout out to these fights getting made yes sir you know you got when i look at this fight
0: if if valdez isn't mentally scarred you know based on his last two performances against consacial and shakur then i think that this is going to be Miguel Bersholt 2.0. You understand what I'm saying? Because Navarrete, he's all offense. He walks in, no defense. And I don't see the guys that he's facing, you know, setting them up or lining them up for a big shot. And one thing that Valdez can do is if you try to press him, you know, he can't clip that chin. And I just don't see the skill level there. Navarrete is just all volume. And he just... Overwhelms his opponent. I don't see that happening in this one. I think that this is going to be a highlight, real early, you know, uh knockout of the year candidate type performance. Now, last thing that I want to discuss with you guys, man, is a reliable source that I heard said that they ran into the towering inferno. And when they ran into him, he met they asked me, said, Man, when are you gonna get back in the ring? You know, they liked this performance in this last bout. He said, Well, I'm going to play on Errol Spinks, undercar, against Tony Harrison February 4th or sometime in February. If that's the case, what are you guys' thoughts on that potential matchup between those two?
1: I think it's a pretty good matchup. Um, you know, Fedora, you know, tall guy, six foot five, towering the furrow, is what they call him. But, you know, I, we've all alluded to to, to this in the past he wears these thick glasses so uh, he's not really an outside fighter but the thing is the funny thing is he's so tall and long that even when he's fighting on the inside it's still like you still the the, the shorter fighter still has to kind of get in the range to really get to him (laughs) you know it's interesting so you're looking at tony harrison who was pretty tall even even at uh like middleweight for that for those standards i think he's taller than jamel Charlo. he's six foot one uh, big guy but Fedor would with tower over him also but Harrison is not, uh, also not a guy to take lightly you know he's not someone that you want to overlook even though you know at times he, he can be shaky and has a shaky chin uh he also has a pretty good jab he moves well he fights you know sometimes he fights pretty good off the ropes his only kryptonite really is Charlo you know but looking at this fight I think this fight will is it's gonna be a bomb burner uh I think it's gonna be some It's going to provide some great exchanges because Tony Harrison, even though he can, you know, he can stick and move, he tends to stay on the ropes a a lot, too. And I think that's going to happen. And that's going to provide some excitement where Harrison will be, you know, fighting off those ropes. But I think it's a risky fight for for Dura because he can be caught also. But I'm not sure who will win this fight. It's kind of a 50-50 fight. But if I had to choose, I would say uh, Sebastian Fedura will win this one. Yeah, I
2: don't have much else to add. I'll just say that I really like the fight. And I, if you know, if I had to do an early pick, I would also lean in Fondura's favor. Yeah, hopefully, you know, this will set up something where, you know, if the winner will fight Charlo, you know, in middle or late next year, we'll see how it goes. But assuming he gets past Zo, of course, but I'm excited to watch this fight. It's going to be a good fight regardless. Yeah, when I think about
0: this one, a couple things come to mind as far as Fendura is concerned. If the Fondura that showed up against Lubin, is in the ring, then I definitely would favor him um, because that dude put some serious hurt on Lubin, had him look, looking like the elephant man and whatnot. Now, if it's the Fundora that fought in his last fight against Ocampo, I don't know what he was in there doing. You know what I mean? He didn't look nearly as mean, and I would pick Tony Harrison to beat that version of Sebastian Fedora. But if both guys are at their best, here's the thing that you would think that you would want to get on the inside with him because of his, his frame and how, how tall and lanky he is, but you might be better suited to try to keep him away. But I don't know how well you would be able to do that because he's like an octopus, but he, because it's, the reason why I say on the outside is two things. He doesn't fight nearly as well out there. He's not comfortable out there. And then two, what you said, Bill, those big old bifocals that he have. I don't know if he's nearsighted, far-sighted. He might be no-sighted. You understand what I'm saying? He might be legally blind up in a bad boy. So the further away he is, the more people or more fighters he's seeing that he's throwing punches at, you know. So that's the interesting thing about it. But if they're both at their best, it's just gonna be whether Fendura is going to be able to make it to the middle rounds. If he makes it to the middle rounds, then I think it's a wrap because Harrison typically fades. And when he fades, he fades, you know, pretty abruptly. And he just, that's that's when he gets taken out. I saw Willie Nelson do that to him. I saw, um, what's his name, uh, Hurt. You know, he was, he was giving her all he wanted, you know what I mean? But eventually just got worn down and then he, he ended up getting tagged. And then obviously, you know, with Charlo. So we'll see, like I said, some, like you say, fellas, there's some good matchups coming up, you know, I look forward to it, you know, and, I, and and the last thing I'm gonna say about that is I thought PBC didn't have no money, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what the deal? That's a good one right there. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up?
2: Last thing I have, man, just real quick. I just want to shout out, Two of the fighters from my Muay Thai gym. Shout out to Dre. Shout out to Amik. They went out to, I think it was South Carolina yesterday. Both of them win their fights. I think Dre won by decision. Amik won by first round knockout, but shout out to those guys, man.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a couple of things that I just want to say in closing, man. You know, I kind of, you know, after this past weekend, I kind of feel bad for uh Amnesian. You know, he got knocked out and he still got a you know, work his Uber shift tomorrow morning. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> they say they say this weekend was like status quo in, in the world of boxing. They say you know Crawford he fought another Uber driver, and Spence he ran, he crashed into another one. So. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, my bad. No, man. Shout out to the chat, man. I'm glad that he was he was uh um, safe. You know what I mean? That he wasn't hurt in that fender bender that he had. But just man, steer, stay clear of those cars, man. Cause he's he's very unlucky when it comes to that sort of thing. But um man, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. On that note, we out. Peace. Peace.